Amen. Thank you very much, worship team. Jeremy told me that they were going to sing that and that we <clears throat> did not get to sing with them. And uh, you all restrained yourself very well. But what a great song. And it was especially meaningful, I think, for us just to hear it sung to us. Great job, worship team, this morning. Um, I'm going to go ahead and dismiss our kids to be uh, sent off, high-fived, give them a greeting as they go. We had about six, fourth, fifth, and sixth grade boys at our house uh, Friday night for a sleepover after the um, pool party that was at the Panoyan's house. And, uh, you know, those two weeks of vacation that I just had were all undone in one night. I'm telling you, those guys, right to the right, I don't even know what to say about that, but uh, it was, um, you know, it was kind of one of those deals where you thought you had them kind of toning down, and then they started revving it back up. Second wind. Sixth grade boys have a third and a fourth wind, too, if you were unsure. Well, it's great to be back. Again, thanks to uh, Rolf, Danny. Uh, Aaron, as they preached over the last few weeks, we have pressed on in our series on Jonah, and uh, I trust that you are, uh, you're getting some, some good things out of this little book. It's really the gospel according to Jonah in a lot of ways. There's this beautiful gospel truths, good news, that comes from this tiny little book in the Old Testament, and perhaps if you have your Bible, you can turn there, start to find it. It might take you a while. It's so small, but... Um, we are pressing on, and we said earlier in our series that the book of Jonah is, is not a story about Jonah and the big fish. That's maybe how it's portrayed in children's Bibles or in other children's stories that you have read, or perhaps that's how the story was first introduced to you, Jonah and the big fish. But we have displayed, hopefully, and remarked over and over that this is not a story about Jonah and the big fish. This is a story about Jonah and God. It's about how God is at work in and through this man Jonah and sometimes against him in order to accomplish his purposes in the world. Jonah, this, as we've called him, a man on the run, a reluctant prophet, or as one writer called him, a ridiculous excuse for a prophet. Uh, this Jonah is the one whom God still called. The one God still pursued. The one God still used for His glory. And if we have eyes to see and ears to hear, I think we're hearing and seeing that this is not only a story about Jonah and God, but this is a story about us and God as well. It would be nice, as we've said before, perhaps especially at certain times in this story, to be able to point our fingers at Jonah and to kind of, we'll have some more of that awkward moment, I think, this morning where we'd like to say, Jonah, you're over there and we're over here. And we don't really want to be associated with you and the decisions and the choices that you are making. And yet, if we're honest, we have to admit that we are Jonah. That is us that we see in this story. We are him in one fashion or, or the other. We are the ones who have at times moved in opposite directions of where we knew God was sending us. We are the ones who have checked out when our number was called. We are the ones who have watched our lives at times spiral 
downward, and I won't repeat it, but the, remember the downward effect of Jonah's life. We've somehow, sometimes watched our own life spiral downward as we've lived in disobedience to God. We are the ones who, as well, have tended to make things about us and failed to engage fully with God's mission and God's purposes in the world. We are ones who have had moments of great inspiration seasons of obedience as Jonah has displayed to us, but who sooner or later just have the tendency, like Jonah, to to do something to once again demonstrate our human faults and our frailty and our brokenness. This is Jonah's story for sure. Jonah and God, but this is our story, us and God. Now, Our subtitle, Jonah Gripped by Grace. And to this point in the story, it has been Jonah himself, who we would have to say has been firmly in the grip. And you can just imagine, uh, both spiritually and physically, in a sense, God's grip that has been on Jonah throughout these pages. He's the one, again, that had run in the opposite direction from where God had called him. He'd resisted God's will. Um, His life was for the most part, characterized by disobedience and selfishness. But God had sought him. God had saved him. God had, had kept him from death and destruction. In fact, one writer said he had nearly done everything wrong. I mean, if there was something wrong for Jonah to do, he did it. Some of us are like, I resemble that remark. Um, and he had gotten into the deepest trouble imaginable. I mean, sinking to the bottom of the sea. No hope left, yet all the while he remained God's beloved. He remained God's chosen one for this purpose, not to mention he he became one of the most successful prophets in all of Scripture. We heard about a little bit the last couple of weeks. We've seen how God used Jonah pretty much in spite of himself to uh, both on the boat in the storm as well as with his one-sentence sermon in Nineveh. Do you remember that? To to bring blessing to the nations, to lead many to salvation in God. Clearly, Jonah was a man held by, gripped by the grace of God, sustained and sent out by the grace, the love and the power of God, empowered and strengthened by the grace of God. But today, we come to a point in the story where Jonah is not only gripped by the grace of God himself, but kind of the double meaning of this subtitle, he is forced to accept the fact, the fact, to accept the fact, and to come to grips with the reality that this very same grace that has held him and has sustained him, that has been available to him, is also available and is reaching and is extending not only to Jonah and to his people Israel, but to all the nations. Even the ones who have shown themselves to be the most bitter enemies of Jonah and his people. Let's look together. At Jonah chapter 4, verses 1 to 4. And let's stand together as I read this. Jonah 4, 1 to 4. And I'm reading from the ESV again. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, 
And he was angry, and he's referring back to the fact that Nineveh had repented of their sin and that God had indeed forgiven them. It displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord, some prayer, and he said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, opposite of where God had asked him to go. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. Have you filed a complaint lately? Have you registered your displeasure with anything, anywhere lately? I Not long ago, it was a little while ago, but... Uh, um, I was, in, uh, I was in Starbucks, and uh, the barista, or the, the cashier, and I had a, just a slight misunderstanding, and I ended up getting charged more for something than I thought I should have, and I didn't really want to bring it up, and like, eh, just whatever. But I got home, it started eating at me a little bit, you know, that 50 cents, man, that, that, those will add up. So... Um, Actually, it might have been more than that. It might have been about two bucks, now that I think of it. So that really will add up. So, you know, I thought, well, I'm sure Starbucks, customer service, right? So I log on, got their website, and customer service department, just send my little email. Hey, just had a slight misunderstanding. Think I was maybe overcharged. I don't know if there's anything you can do. No big deal. But, and within 24 hours, I had an email back. And my Starbucks card had been credited with $5 on it. I mean, you talk about taking care of complaints. So what I want to recommend is you go to Starbucks, have a slight altercation. No, I don't want to recommend that. But we are good at complaining, aren't we? I mean, social media has especially given us a brand new platform for complaining. I mean... Uh, you know, Yelp or TripAdvisor, you look on one of those, you'll hopefully see some good comments about certain things, but man, you want to hear some people just complaining about stuff, how bad it was, and how horrible the service was, and this and that. It's just given us this great new platform for complaining. I'm not sure that's good or, or what, but it's the reality. I saw these signs online about complaining. This is this is uh, one. Notice, the complaint department, 100 miles that way. So start walking, and maybe you can complain uh, at that point. I like this one, too. This is the complaint department. Just take a number. Just take a number, baby. That's, that's all you got to do. Okay, you don't like that one quite as much. Here's this one, though. Complaint department. Push button for service. This, while we're great complainers, this is really, these signs indicate, though, how we feel about people who complain, right? Thankfully, most of us live in situations where we don't hear very much complaining. Wrong. 
I mean, it's all around us, at our homes, at our workplaces. It's just interesting. You can be kind of in the middle of complaining. People can be complaining about each other, and the other person can be complaining about them. Guess what? When you're not there, they're complaining about you. I mean, that's just the reality of life. We love to complain. And uh, again, it, thankfully it never happens in the church, but um, outside the church, lots of complaining happens. Um, but that's just kind of the reality of it. We complain about people, traffic, weather, the government, our job. Yes, even sometimes issues that happen inside the walls of a church building. And uh, yet, I have to say that stacked up against Jonah's complaint here in chapter 4, all of our complaints seem like rather small potatoes. I mean, if we consider like the worst of our complaining, none of it necessarily, at least the level I'm talking about here, has been complaining against God. We may do some of that as well. But let's make sure we all understand what's going on here. We heard about a couple of weeks ago, Jonah had willingly gone into the city of Nineveh, the great city of Nineveh, sin city of Nineveh, the place that was most known for its great brutality and violence and uh, just wars and dominance, uh, especially against Israel and others, a bad place, the arch enemy of God's people and just about any other nation at the time, actually. But he willingly, after he'd been spit up on the beach by the great fish, he'd willingly gone into Nineveh to preach the message of God, warning them of God's judgment, threatening that God would overturn them. That's the language, that's the word that is used, that that uh, 40 days, repent, 40 days, Nineveh will be overturned. And this is the message, the one-sentence sermon that he preached. And as we learned last week, this great city of Nineveh had actually listened to his sermon. Are you listening? Okay, good. They listened to his sermon, and in fact, God had, they repented of their ways, and in fact, God did overturn Nineveh, but just not in the way that Jonah expected. He overturned them into this people who had repented and were now willing to sackcloth and ashes follow after God. It was the most effective and powerful one-sentence sermon of all time. And in fact, as I've already alluded to, it was perhaps the most successful missionary endeavor in all of Scripture. One sentence, one sermon, the power of God at work. But now Jonah is complaining. Why? Because God didn't come through like he said he would? Because God didn't hold up his end of the deal? No, he complains because God came through exactly like he said he would. He did hold up his end of the deal. He did just what he had always done in situations like this. And just what Jonah says, he knew he was going to do from the start. It's as if Jonah's saying, I knew it. I knew you were going to do that, God. And finally we're told by Jonah, in no uncertain terms, that the reason why he hadn't gone to Nineveh in the very first place, back in chapter 1, because he knew that this was the kind of God that God was, and that he would go, and he would forgive them, and they would repent, and it would all be good, and he didn't like these people, and he didn't want that to happen, so he hadn't gone from that point. Indeed, God was gracious and compassionate. He is slow to anger and abounding in love. And the result of his preaching in Nineveh would likely, again, result in their forgiveness. Now we're getting to the heart of the matter. 
that we began in chapter 1 several weeks ago. Jonah didn't just not go to Nineveh because he was afraid for his life. He didn't just not go to Nineveh because he was afraid his message wouldn't be received and that he would be tossed aside. He didn't go to Nineveh because he was afraid that God would actually be God. That God would be gracious and compassionate and forgiving. That he would be filled with grace. And though he had finally agreed to go to Nineveh and preach God's message, again, uh, faithfully, uh, he had apparently hoped that the Ninevites wouldn't accept it or receive it. Maybe that's why he kept things at one sentence and didn't elaborate on that sermon very much, hoping that maybe it would go unnoticed. And yet when the Ninevites did respond, it was as if he was hoping against hope that God would somehow suspend his own rules and suspend like, his own identity and his own way of operating in the world, his typical rules of engagement, and, now, and not act graciously towards these bitter enemies. And when it becomes clear to Jonah that this is not going to happen, that indeed God is going to be true to his way of working in the world, Jonah can't handle it, and what we've read is his temper tantrum. I mean, no, again, a ridiculous excuse for a prophet. He looks more like a two-year-old, doesn't he? You can, you can agree, you can admit it. I mean, I don't think lightning will strike us. I mean, Jonah looks bad in this passage. It's embarrassing. I'm embarrassed for him, and I'm pointing fingers at Jonah. And I'm saying... I don't know what your problem is, dude, but you stay over there because that's not the way I roll. I mean, exceedingly displeased and angry with God. I love those words that the ESV uses. Exceedingly displeased and angry. Angry with God. Angry because God was gracious, no less. It's again a time in the story, again, where we back up, we pull away. We want to leave Jonah just kind of, you know, standing there and we're like, we're not with him, God. And yet we are. He's just mad at God for being God. And yet we're with him. This verse of scripture, this little phrase for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful. This was the, this was the hang-up for Jonah. Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Jonah didn't make up these words, by the way. This was, these were God's own words. Maybe you recognize them from the book of Exodus, chapter 34, when Moses was on Mount Sinai and saying, God, who are you? Reveal yourself to me. God passed by him and he said, I'm a God who is gracious and merciful. I am slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. These words were deeply imprinted on Israel. David wrote them several times throughout his Psalms. Other prophets used this exact same phrase to refer to God, to describe who God is and who his, what his character is all about. This is who he is. This is how God had, again, described himself. This is his M.O. in the world. His inclination. See this. The, the, the description actually goes on in Exodus to talk about God's justice and how he'll deal with, with people who wrong him as well. But his inclination is always towards grace. 
God's inclination is always towards mercy. His inclination is always to extend His love, first and foremost, to those who are before Him, whatever type of person it might be or nation. And Jonah, while he was happy to receive this gracious and merciful God while he was in the belly of the great fish, do you remember his prayer? beginning of chapter 3 or 2. While he was happy to receive the grace of God in those moments, he was not as quick to come to grips with this grace, reaching beyond the boundaries that he had so nicely established for it. And again, this kind of prophet is not someone most of us want to be associated with, except again, it's not that easy. We're not allowed to point fingers. We're Jonah. We need this story. We need to hear this story. And we need to hear it on at least a couple of levels here this morning that I want us to to attend to. First, we need to let the story speak to us about the times and the ways we have been angry or at least disappointed or at least even caught off guard with God for the way that He seems to pour His grace out on such undeserving people. It seems that Jesus Himself knew that this would be a great issue for us. He told a couple of parables about this very same issue. He told this great parable about some workers in a field. And uh, a bunch of them showed up at 9 in the morning. They started working in that field and doing their, doing their job and working hard. And then about 12 noon, another crop of workers were standing there. And the foreman said, well, come on, start working as well. So they started at noon. And then at 3 p.m., just a couple hours left in the workday, another crop kind of came around. The foreman said, well, you come to work as well. And at the end of the day, you know what the foreman did? He passed out the wages to all the workers. And guess what? They all got the same wage, Jesus said. And the early workers said, what's the deal with that? They grumbled and said, we worked a lot more. We should get more. Why are they getting so much? And the middle one said the same. And the ones at the end said, nothing, because we're happy. And the foreman said, what business is it of yours? I paid you what you are due. Businesses of yours, what I give to them. Jesus told another familiar parable about the prodigal son. We know it well. We've heard it referenced many times recently. But, but this, the reminder of that elder brother, when the prodigal son returns and the father throws the party and the language of the New Testament, Jesus' word, it actually says this older brother who had been faithful never left his father's, never left his father's side is said to have become angry, and refused to go in to the party. This isn't just a Jonah issue, friends. This is a Jesus issue, and this is a us issue. Maybe we ask, when have we gotten mad at God for extending His grace to those who just don't deserve it? When have I done that? I want to point fingers. When have I done that? I haven't done that. When have we been those first workers in the field? When have we been the older brother? When have we assumed a seat of judgment over the hearts of others? Or when have we prayed against rather than for those who wronged us, those who've hurt us? When have we failed to remember that the most hurtful people around us are the ones most in need of the healing love? Of God? When have we taken delight in the misfortunes of the ungodly and hoped for their just 
deserts rather than praying for them and longing for God's mercy to be shown to them. It's our own expression. Murray, I think that's how you say her name, Miller Young, is perhaps not a name that many of us are familiar with. Most of us just know her by the name Professor Porn. Have you read about her in the newspaper? She's a professor at UCSB who, when a young teenage Christian gal was protesting and holding a sign up against abortion on the campus of UCSB, Murray Miller Young violently attacked her, ripped the sign from her hand, ripped it up, pushed her an altercation, ran off into the building, and the paper, the news press of all places, has portrayed this professor porn with the greatest of disdain. And, and I, as I've read those articles, I've thought, yeah, get her. <laughs> she teaches about pornography and the, 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 the joys of pornography and, and all these kinds of things. She's exposing the young minds of our society to this, this garbage. And she's attacking young women who are speaking up for life on our campuses, and I don't know even how to pronounce her first name. I just know she's Professor Porn, and let's get her. Let's give her everything she's got. And I would, I don't think I'd be off in saying that if you had read the articles, most of you would be standing right alongside me when I would ask for that. How many of us, though, long for Professor Miller Young to know the healing, restoring love and grace of God? And how many, if she were to find that, would, of us would still say, yeah, really, God? I think about even on a grander scale in our world these days with what we've read in the newspapers this week, Islamic fundamentalists and the violence that's being carried out across our world and our hearts break and it makes no sense and we're completely angered and broken by such extremism and we want vengeance and we want justice And how many of us are saying, God, do a work of healing. Extend your grace. Move in ways that we could never imagine. How many of us long to see the grace of God, as the great hymn says, extended to the vilest of offenders? Knowing that we have been those same vile offenders. But we need to hear it on one other level, though the story reminds us that God is free to act however and whenever and to whomever he sees best fit. When we see ourselves as Jonah, we're reminded of just how silly, of just how even foolish 
it looks when we try to play God. When we try to act like we know what is best for the world. When we start to believe that our plan is the one that God should follow as opposed to his own. God is a free being. This story reminds us of that. He will not be confined to our boxes. He will not be patterned after our imaginations or our desires. He keeps going beyond them. We can get angry, and we'll see that God understands that, but we can also learn to just trust the traces of God's fingerprints in the world, even when we can't perhaps see his hands. Uh, True faith recognizes that there's always more to learn about God. True faith recognizes that we never fully figure him out. And I've said this before and I'll say it again. If you can fully uh, grasp your God, then your understanding of God is too small. We got to be with my parents for the last couple of weeks, or for the last week at least, while we were in, on vacation in Idaho. And um, my dad, as we're saying these days, he's 79 years old, and he's, he's failing at retirement once again. <laughs> he's, just a, he's just a complete and utter failure. He cannot get this retirement thing down. So once again, he's been uh, appointed as the interim pastor of the McCall Church of the Nazarene. And uh, it's a little mountain community in Idaho, and uh, there he is. going to be there for at least, I think, four months, and just kind of going at it. Got to hear him preach a couple of sermons. It was great. been a long time. And uh, just, just a complete failure. <laughs> I think the thing that makes my dad such a great failure and by the way, maybe some of you saw a picture on Instagram. He pulled me up in church and interviewed me. And uh, we had a nice, fun little exchange there with the church. It was, it was a lot of fun. But I think the thing that makes my dad a great failure at retirement, what, what makes him just fresh and, and able to keep kind of doing what he's doing, is that he just loves to learn. He really loves to learn. He went to a conference with Aaron and I. Uh, in, where N.T. Wright, this really great Christian thinker, writer, was speaking, and, and I'm still honestly not sure that I understood half of what N.T. Wright said at that conference, and I, I think my dad thinks that he understands more than he really understands <laughs> about what N.T. Wright said at that conference, but he, he's loving, he's just soaking it up. It's like, wow, new discoveries about who God is, about how we can understand scripture, about how we can understand the way God works. It, with his people in the world, about how God is, is active in mission in the world. My dad's 79. He should be, like, playing golf, <laughs> if that. But he's digging deep. He's learning. He's staying fresh. And I, I just think this is, whatever age we are, this is a great thing to do. But this is also, again, whatever age we are, uh, uh, that which will keep us fresh in our faith, fresh in our lives. Unlike Jonah to say, oh, this is the box God, get back in it. Or this is the box, get out of it and get into my box. More accurately, you said for Jonah, for us to say, wow, God, I had no idea. That box is getting bigger and more beautiful and more powerful. To be able to say, God, 
wow, that's how you do it? That's how you work in the world? I am in. Never come to the place where we think we've got him figured out. He'll surprise us every time. The passage ends with God speaking back to Jonah. This is actually the first time in the book where Jonah and God have had a conversation. It's intriguing. There's been a lot of God speaking and then Jonah talking. But this is the first time Jonah's praying, he's complaining, he's whining, he's throwing a temper tantrum. And this is the time when God chooses to speak. So, be ready when you're throwing a temper tantrum. That might be the time God chooses to speak. But here comes his voice. I wonder if Jonah was expecting it. I'm just envisioning him. I'm exceedingly displeased. I'm angry. Jonah. And here comes God's voice to him. Wouldn't it be cool if God spoke back? He does sometimes, and he does to Jonah. Here's his words. And the Lord said, I again like this ESV, Do you do well to be angry? And this question just hangs. And it's heavy. And Jonah hears it. And here's God asking, are you sure, Jonah, in my translation, that you've got me figured out? Are you sure that that's the way you want to do this? You might want to step back and think about that. By the way, I'm the one that saved you from certain death just a couple chapters back. By the way, you've seen nothing but goodness from me throughout your existence and the existence of your people. By the way, you yourself said that I am the Lord, the God of both land and sea. Do you do well to be angry, he says? Still, himself, God just can't help it. Gracious and compassionate, he gives room for Jonah to complain but won't let him go too far. Here's the word of grace to all of us this morning. Jonah is a work in progress. Amen. And we are Jonah. Amen. We we had high hopes. I don't know if you remember this, but last time I preached here two weeks ago, I had really high hopes for Jonah. I think we all had really high hopes for him. He turned a corner. He was pressing on. He was preaching the Word. But here we see that there are still some weak spots. There are still some vulnerabilities There's still some places where God is needing to do some work. Okay, actually more than that. He was way off. And God's bringing him back. Where are we way off? Where has our thinking become clouded about the grace of God and how great and amazing it actually is? Where has our thinking become small about who God is and what he might want to do in our lives or through our lives? We... Know God as Jonah did, but perhaps our thinking has become clouded. Perhaps we've tried to box him in. Are we humble enough to respond to God's question? Hmm, actually, I want what you want, God. This is a word of grace to us this morning. Father, thank you. Thank you for the way that you pursued Jonah. You held him in the grip of your grace. Even when he did everything wrong. 
He couldn't shake you. Thank you that you hold us. You pursue us. You have, have gotten a hold of so many of us here today, God. You're, you're not letting us go. Your grace is beautifully, lovingly saving us and sustaining us and sending us. We're so thankful. And yet, God, perhaps a little bit like Jonah, our thinking has become a little crowded. Perhaps we've become a little too proud of that grace that has gripped us and have failed to open our eyes to the extent to which you desire to reach your grace into the world. This morning I pray for Professor Miller-Young. I don't know her. I don't really know anything about her other than what I've read in the papers. That's not a fair estimation by any means. I pray that wherever she might be and others who would perhaps be in her situation, that your grace would extend. Pray, O oh God, for nations around the world who, whose ideologies are so different than our own and whose expressions of those ideologies are so hurtful and violent. Pray for our own nation where we've fallen victim to that. Pray that Instead of becoming hardened, our hearts would be soft to what your grace might do and how you might use your people, how your word might go into all the world, into all the nations. Pray for missionaries today in places where it's hard, where there's persecution, where there's suffering. We pray that their light of Jesus would shine beautifully and powerfully. God, where are estimation of you has been too small, where we have come to the place of feeling like we've got you figured out, whether that be somehow that you might want to work in our lives or in the world, we pray that we just kick the doors down today and let you move and be free. Be free in our church, O Lord Jesus. Forgive us for the ways that we've restricted or confined the way that you might move in and through Coast Community Church the Nazarene. Forgive us for the ways that we've boxed you in, Jesus. May we allow you to be free in and through us and in our community. We're thankful that you work with us. We're works in progress, God, all of us. And as a community, we're thankful that you haven't given up on us. We're thankful that you still speak to us. And indeed, you are good. May we respond to you now with faith and with gratitude as we allow your grace to fully envelop us and allow it to move beautifully in the world. We need you now, Jesus. Come and fill us. Come and change our hearts. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Let's stand together, can we? Sing this song.